Welcome to a slice of orange. I'm Jody Ballman. Today I'm talking with Dr. Jody Aegis Vallejo, a professor of sociology, American studies, and ethnicity at USC. We talk about attacks on public education and concentrated efforts by extremists to take over these local school boards and what all that means for our society and public education. Make no mistake, public education is on the ballot and you need to be informed before you vote. So check the candidates' websites, find out who endorses them and what that means. Look at the Voice of OC candidate questionnaire, read their answers to important questions, and ask them questions. Um, I'm going to link to Kevin Kiley's Champion for Kids so you can check your own ballots, see if they're endorsed by this group. And I have great conversation with Dr. Jody Aegis Vallejo. Let's get started. Welcome to A Slice of Orange. I'm Jody Balma, and today I'm here with Dr. Jody Aegis Vallejo, an Associate Professor of Sociology and American Studies and Ethnicity. She's also an Associate Director of USC Equity Research Institute and the Co-Director of Graduate Studies in Sociology. She also co-edits with Blanca Ramirez, the USC Equity Research Institute blog. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of this podcast and of your work more generally in our community. So it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. One of the wonderful things about the uh, the election cycle is I get to meet people in the community that I wouldn't necessarily meet in other times. And so uh, we met at an election forum, getting information about candidates. So it's such a pleasure to have you on to talk about education and public education and school board races in general. Um, so I want to talk generally, I want to talk specifically, I want to talk a little bit about the charter school movement that we see as a concentrated effort. Um, but let's learn a little bit more about you. I gave the, the, the brief synopsis of your educational background, but what are you working on? What are you researching? Well, what I'm currently researching is processes and mechanisms of upward mobility among uh, Latinx populations, the Mexican middle class, um, the, La- the Latino elite. My current book is actually a book on Latino elites in the top 1% of the economic and wealth distribution in Los Angeles. Uh, my previous book was about the growth of the Mexican American middle class in Southern California in particular. And more generally, I study immigrant integration, race, race and ethnicity, um, upward mobility, wealth accumulation. And um, I live here in Fullerton and I'm actually a alum of Fullerton College. I went- Love it. Yeah, I went to school in the Placentia Yorba Linda School District. I graduated from El Dorado High School. And um, I'm really invested in public education. And so the current Debates have been really interesting because I have this kind of analytical view of what's going on due to my um, academic kind of interests and what I study in particular. Um, And then I'm also a parent in our public schools here in Fullerton. And so this has been a particularly interesting time. Right. Right. You know, so sometimes things will happen in state government and I'm fascinated as, as a professional and then horrified as a voter. <laughs> and I have to kind of balance those two, like, oh, this is going to be really great to talk about. And the data points on this are going to be fascinating to, to, to plot. However, really bad for our state. 
Um, and, I, and I think that's sometimes really true when, when you see what we study in real life and on the ballot. Um, you just kind of want to yell and scream and get everybody to pay attention. It's really crucial that we pay attention to not just the state level and the national level races, but also what's going on at the local level. And, you know, I'm, I'm a mom in the schools. I'm out on the soccer field with my child. My child participates in many different extracurricular activities. She's in a, um, a theater program. And these conversations are coming up. People are talking about these conversations, talking about these issues. And a lot of people, um, don't necessarily have the broader context or don't always understand in particular what's at stake. And that's why I'm grateful to you also for doing the kind of work to get um, the knowledge out there and to have people engage in real discussions about these issues. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. So I've talked a few times on this podcast, uh, Orange County Board Board of Election, Board of Education Races, in June, and I spoke with Carrie Buck for this election for the Los Yorba Linda uh, School District. A, a lot of people are just not paying attention, and particularly not paying attention to school districts that their their kids aren't in or that they're not voting for. And so, I think it's sometimes hard to see the patterns when you're not paying attention to multiple cities and and a broader context. So, what what do you think is at stake for this election when it comes to these local school board races? This is a really, really important question because people don't understand what school board races have become and what they symbolize in our society and in our country today. And there's, there's a few things that are at stake. I mean, one important thing is when we think about the school board races, particularly in North Orange County, What's at stake is whether our school districts, our schools will emulate the the chaos and dysfunction that we see occurring right now in Placentia Yorba Linda School District, the district in which I was raised and in which many of my family family members continue to live and um, have children in, and whether exclusionary, you know, profit generating charter schools that are also rooted in separatism, um, whether they will be allowed to open under kind of the guise and rhetoric of parent choice that was amplified during COVID. The roots were already well-established before COVID. Um, And so what's at stake at the local level is really who's going to control our public schools that are a public good, that are here to serve all students that are funded by our taxpayers. But then at the macro level, you know, at the, at the larger level, what's at stake is the future and well-being of our society, the health of our democracy. What's at stake is whether schools become a site of inclusion or a site of exclusion. And schools are a battleground right now because they are, a primary institution of socialization for our children. They are a place where families go to build community, to gain access to resources. And they're really at the center of these questions that people have been asking themselves about the kind of society in which we want to live. 
And I want to talk a second just about how the battle over our school boards is really related to perceived shifts in power in American society. Right. Right. Absolutely. Especially really related to um, ideas about racial ethnic demographic change. One of the things that I study um, in my research and many people in in the U.S., um, particularly many white Americans, not all white Americans, right? But many fear that they're losing power in American society and that their children are losing power and advantages in American society by the goal to be a more inclusive and equitable country. And they see it as a zero sum game. Absolutely. Instead of expanding opportunities. And and I think that replacement theory that we hear echo in conversations, in the fear tactics that are being used, often to profit, right? To to sell something for 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 pundits and books to be sold. Um, that replacement theory that really strikes at the fear of the culture of America being replaced by this other. Exactly. And there's a there's a number of reasons why this theory has gained traction. Some of it is academics ourselves. You know, we have to deal with that and be honest with ourselves about that. But, you know, this, this fear was amplified by Trump's racist and xenophobic campaign. You, You can't have a discussion of education today, a discussion of replacement theory, a discussion of many people's fear around the direction of our country without also, you know, having an understanding that the battle over our education, our public education system harkens back decades and is really related to, to race, to racism, to the reproduction of advantage and disadvantage and really attempts to control um, that. And I think what what a lot of people don't understand, and I've been having a lot of conversations about this, is that if you look at California in particular, so these movements around um, kind of the battle around public education isn't just something that's relegated here to to North Orange County. These these hot districts, as people are calling them, um, Placentia, Yorba Linda, Brea. I had a very interesting conversation on the soccer field with a candidate in Brea um, who introduced themselves as the conservative candidate and and kind of um, rattled off a litany of inaccurate um, and very conservative views that were extremely troubling to me. But, you know, if we look at California, um, far, the far right is, is really viewing school boards in California as an attempt to control the grand game because the the far right conservatives don't have control of California politics. Right. And so much of that, as you know and you talk about, Jody, is also rooted in demographic change and race relations and immigration, all of these things. Right. And they have little power at the state level. So the goal is to try to contra- contain um to try to get control of school boards and mm-hmm. not just school boards, but also other municipal seats. Oh, 
planning commissions, city council, the, absolutely. And, and they have in the past been kind of forgotten by the Democratic Party in Orange County as they were trying to, you know, 1996 with Loretta Sanchez winning the first congressional race as a Democrat. And then they, the, the Democratic Party of Orange County kind of focused their attention on assembly and Senate races um, and building out from central uh, Orange County, but kind of forgot the school boards and the city councils because they're nonpartisan, the County Board of Supervisors, the, the you know, Orange County Board of Education really were not part of the game plan and now we're seeing it and we're seeing a concentrated real fight to hold on to that power. And, and I, I really appreciate what you said about it being centered on power and perceived power, perceived threats to power. Um, because I, ideally, these races are not partisan because we used to say, you know, there's no Republican or Democratic way to fill a pothole. There's no Republican or Democratic way to increase graduation scores. <laughs> But, right. but now we're seeing not a divide between Republican and Democrat, but these, you know, really far reaching ideology of, of, of wanting not just a charter school, because I think it's important, you know, I, I always go back to, you know, the, the incredible work that is done with charter schools like OSHA that gives, uh, you know, performing arts and, and, and all kinds of arts students, not only junior high, but high school. But let's talk a little bit about the classical charter academy that have come to Orange County and the folks behind it. We we kind of see this um, in 2018 with the Orange County Board of Elections, where Lisa Spark and Mary Barkey are elected. Their ties to um, Mary Barkey's husband, uh, Jeff Barkey, who's on you know the president of the charter, the classical charter academy, the, their pandemic response that was so so extreme that there would be no school closures, that there would be no protections, no divides. Like, I don't even think they wanted cleaning supplies. And it, it was the first time a lot of people even understood that the Orange County Board of Education existed. And luckily, they have very little power. And it is our local school boards that have the power. But they have approved the Classical Charter Academy, um, which has ties to Hillsdale College, the small you know, a uh, small uh, Christian conservative uh, college in Michigan that has ties to Betsy DeVos. And, and they've really adopted the 1776 Commission's report on Trump. And so um, 2020, Placentia Belinda, you know, Sean Youngblood and Leandra Blades and Marilyn Anderson get elected with, with these plurality votes that, that not one of them got a majority. And so if you can, if you can stay in that lane and attract the, the extreme right to vote for you, you can win some of these elections. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the threat of these charter schools and, and what you what you mentioned before as the separatist nature of the of the classical charter academy, not just wanting to you know invite others and be a magnet school to bring people in, but really to exclude. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you brought that up because there are differences between charter schools. So you have charter schools like the Orange County High School of the Arts or OSHA as it's called, where people from all across Orange County and even outside of it attend that school um, 
for specialized education. And at the same time, we see this movement across the country. It's not just in um, Orange County, but this movement that has really emanated from Trump's 1776 commission, which was a response, uh, Trump's 1776 commission was a response to, um, in many ways, the 1619 project written about in the New York Times and efforts to understand how the law and um, everyday policies around race and the social construction of race have impacted the formation of America and American society, even before the signing the, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And Trump um, initiated the 1776 Commission. He also created an executive order saying that federally funded institutions couldn't talk about race and diversity and racism. And all of these things are linked. Larry Arn, who chaired the 1776 commission, which was supposed to um, reframe uh, education around patriotism, is also the person um, directing Hillsdale College, Mm -hmm. which is behind the curriculum that they claim is based on in a Western lens, and and we know what that is code word for, um, is behind the curriculum for these classical academy charter schools in Orange County that are being pushed by um, parents who claim that they don't have parent choice within our schools. And these charter schools are very problematic, as you mentioned, because they're not like Orange County High School of the Arts. These are charter schools that have a Western-centered view around history. They don't teach accurate history. They are um, trying to really rewrite narratives about the civil rights movement, about Mm. um, movements for racial and economic justice, as well as key actors within those movements throughout history, like Martin Luther King Jr. And they are embedded in the history of what charter schools are. Charter schools were initially created after Brown versus Board of Education desegregated schools and mandated that racial segregation was unconstitutional in schools. Mm -hmm. And schools have always been a mechanism for the reproduction of privilege or the reproduction of disadvantage. And so many white people that did not want their children to attend integrated schools pushed the charter school movement um, after the desegregation of schools. And we still see this happening today. Many researchers have um, demonstrated across the country how charter schools, especially those that revolve around um, these kind of Western civilization ideas, um, as well as the parent choice rhetoric are really embedded in race and fears about the changing racial composition of our schools. 
let's be real in, in Fullerton schools in, in Placentia or Belinda schools, the majority of children, and this is reflected in the demographics of the state are children of color. Right. And it isn't an accident that these um, schools that are extremely problematic in the way in which they teach history in particular are opening up in our school districts that have undergone this racial ethnic demographic change. And so the other reason why these schools are problematic, which you touched on, are the connections to the Barkies themselves. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, Jody? Sure. So you have somebody on on the board, and although she abstained from one vote, she it's a five zero vote where all five of the members. Now that Becky Gomez has stepped down, she's on the city council for Tustin, but she was the lone dissenting vote time after time after time. Um, and you have the Orange County Board of Education taking away local control from the local school boards that are elected in the community to approve these classical charter um, schools, classical charter academy. Um, Stephen Bean, who had run in June yes. uh, to be the superintendent. And Alma Harris is a Republican. You know, I, I want to emphasize that we're not talking about all Republicans. There, there are really good Republicans on school boards that have really done a great job of looking at, at, at the curriculum changes from teachers and approving those decisions made by superintendents and the principals and the faculty and the staff on those campuses. So this isn't just a Democrat-Republican thing. This is about extremist politics infecting our schools. And so the Barkeys, Jeff Barkey, um, who was also involved with the pandemic, <clears throat> fake documentary, um, is, is the president of this charter school, Stephen, or the board. Uh, Stephen Bean is the superintendent, and he ran to to be the superintendent of Orange County Schools. Um, And they have been really working with uh, Hillsdale College and and this curriculum, um, which when you look at the curriculum, and and it's available, you can watch the videos. Mm -hmm. Um, It is canned curriculum that uh, is not going to be lessons from teachers about the community, you're not going to get a lot of, um, you know, Orange County centric, Fullerton centric, your Belinda centric, all of the the local community that you really want to invest kids in learning about. Um, And they, they teach Latin, which is great. I think any language is good, but it, it harkens back to the Western bias of we're not going to teach Spanish, we're not going to teach Mandarin, we're not going to teach Vietnamese, which is what we see public schools all over Orange County going to a dual immersion program. And, you know, finally, hallelujah, actually looking at the research that mm-hmm. says they can learn a, a second language better early rather than in high school. But they also, you know, there's no there's no coverage, there's no part of the curriculum that really deals with climate change. It's, it's a climate denying. Um, curriculum, the enslaved people get, you know, almost no uh, time at all. Slavery is a footnote in how they present our history. And so one question that I have is, what does that mean for a society where we no longer have a shared foundation of education, where we have such skewed information. So when those students then come to us, either at the community college or at, at, at USC, that they, that they have never been exposed 
to real history. And, and, and we'll talk in a minute about, you know, CRT and, and, and the, the, the red herring and the fake, um, the controversy that doesn't really exist. What, what we're talking about is just an honest history. And, and sometimes the education that we got, that I got, you know, I don't know that I really learned about the mission system from going down to the grocery store and getting stack after stack of sugar cube and making a recreation of that building. I think, you know, some teachers are really diving deep into that. Yes, we want to teach that part of California history. We're not going to deny it. But let's also open it up and not just take the view of what the Catholic Church believes that they accomplished through that. But what happened to the indigenous people? What happened to their culture when they were enslaved by the mission um, projects? So the idea that these charter schools are now going to be skewing an exclusionary, very, um, you know, European centric um, a curriculum that sees the United States as never doing wrong is the exact opposite of what we're hoping to do with critical thought and what the exact opposite of what we're hoping to teach our students in college. And so can you talk a little bit about that of how does that further damage our society away from, you know, the, the, the framers idea of public education for everyone to have an educated citizen, you know, citizens to, to participate in our government? It's very important, um, I think, to me, to us as as educators, that children understand and youth understand and even adults understand the, the contradictions in our history that have brought us to where we are today. And this is a country that, you know, many people see as a really important, great experiment in democracy. And this is a country that was supposed to be a democracy, you know, founded on freedom and liberty and rights. But the fact that those things were systematically denied to women, to people of color, to indigenous people is something that we cannot gloss over as we try to make a country and an environment in which all people feel a sense of belonging, in which all people see themselves, and in which everybody works for the common good. And those yeah. are central to the founding of this country. Those are central to ideals of community and justice. And so it's very problematic when you have, again, schools that literally want to separate themselves from public schools to rewrite our history or to prevent an accurate history from being taught, because that's actually, as you're suggesting, is not critical thinking. Right. In, in our, as a professor, as professors, that's our job, right? We present a range of theories. We present a range of ideas and arguments and students think about them critically. They debate them. They read original texts. Um, we have conversations about them. And in order to move us toward a truly inclusive society, regardless of race, gender, um, you know, sexual orientation, identity, all of these things, we have to grapple with our history. And it's not anything that is out of line with so many people's vision for a fair and equitable society. 
Right. And it, but it becomes politicized and it becomes, um, again, a fear tactic that revolves around not just, you know, race. I mean, race is really at the center of it and has been at the center of charter school movements. We cannot responsibly talk about charter schools, right? right? But also concerns that people have around sex education, sexuality, um, you know, again, kind of this idea of parent choice during the pandemic. And if, if we want to talk about creating a fair and equitable society, and I think there's people who don't want to create a fair and equitable society, there are people who don't, but if we do, we have to fight for that. And we have to think about how our public schools are shaping, um, children and youth and parents today right. to work towards that. Right. And and I think the fear-based is a really important um, part of this because I think so often when I hear people talk and we'll talk about critical race theory, because I think it's important to understand what it is and more importantly, what it isn't. Um, I think a lot of it, when I hear Tucker Carlson talk about what's happening in our schools, when I hear, you know, some of the rhetoric in this election, I think, have you been in a classroom? Because that is not happening. You know, that there is not indoctrination. I w- I always joke that, oh, my goodness, that's not even a goal of mine. I just want people to read the book. Like, I can't get students to read the assignment. The idea that I have this power to indoctrinate, and even if I could, I wouldn't want to. I I want my students to think for themselves. And and, and particularly when you're talking about young kids, um, they, they are trying to get the basics down. And the fact that we are doing things a little differently than what parents or grandparents were taught of course, the world has changed in so many ways. Um, and I and I think that that, you know, when when I hear that there are attacks on social emotional learning, um, that that they're worried that that will be indoctrination. And that and the teachers I know are just really dealing with a lot of mental health challenges that we have never seen on this scale before. So let's talk a little bit about the the lies, the scare tactics, the fear tactics of what is not being taught in our schools and and needs to really be discussed. I think this is one of the big issues and misunderstandings. And you really framed it really, really nicely because one of the problems is that when these extremist candidates um, get elected to school boards and you know, this is something that's kind of separate from charter schools, but these extremist candidates are also endorsed in Orange County by the Orange County Board of Ed. And they're endorsed by um, people who are not just, not just Orange County Board of Ed, but also extremist parent groups as well. And what you see is that when these candidates get on school boards in particular, there's discussions about things that are being taught in our schools that are very much um, manufactured and are used as scare tax tactics right. um, for parents. And and when that happens, when so like let's use Placentia or Belinda as an example. So 
we as parents that are, you know, on the soccer field and working and trying to get our kids to do homework and all of that, not tapped into the, the minutia of our school boards and not really paying attention, we kind of are trained to trust our school board members. We're trained to believe what they say. And so when someone like Leandra Blades or Sean Youngblood says to people in Placentia or Belinda that these terrible things are happening in the schools, they believe them. They believe them. And, you know, our public schools are actually very transparent. And part of this, again, is a larger movement to sow chaos and dysfunction in the schools, to sow mistrust of our teachers, to demonize teachers' unions, to censor teachers from speaking about particular things. We've seen this very clearly in Placentia or Belinda. I have a number of friends um, and others, this is not just anecdotal, um, who are fleeing Placentia or Belinda because school board members and the kinds of resolutions that they're introducing and the specific targeting of curriculum is making it very difficult for teachers to teach, especially coming out of the pandemic. Teachers are feeling censored. Teachers are feeling like it's an unsupportive environment. And there hasn't, there's this issue where people are using and weaponizing things like critical race theory or like pronouns um, to sow, again, fear and distrust. And you have a place like a school board like Placentia or Belinda where there's an extreme amount of vitriol. Meetings are yes. screaming matches. They're completely dysfunctional. There's this crisis that has become manufactured about education, which doesn't allow for collaboration. It doesn't right. allow for collaboration between people from different political ideologies, which is what we need. Of it doesn't course. allow for school boards to function for our students. And that essentially becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy because school boards. Um, you know, school districts and schools themselves can become places where children cannot learn, where teachers cannot teach. And those school boards and school systems become weakened. And it creates an environment where it's like, see, let's bring in these charter schools from that are not just any charter schools, but they're the charter schools that are making a profit for the people who endorsed us. And who also siphon public funds from our charters, from our regular schools, you know, our public schools, which aren't public good for everybody, to then create these very separatist schools. And critical race theory has become a a wedge issue for that. It's not taught in our elementary schools. I do teach it because I teach graduate courses. Correct. Graduate level. I teach and I, I teach it in some of my undergraduate courses, tenants of it, but I also teach many other theories. Right. And students learn many other theories, not just critical right. race theory, which I'm happy to talk about what it is and what it isn't. You asked that question earlier, but I'm happy to delve into that a little bit more if you'd like. Well, I think I think the most important thing is to talk about where it is taught. And and it's been used as a red herring, it's been used as a fear tactic. And and what they really, I think a lot of people don't want to say is we're opposed to ethnic studies and the state requirement that high schools have to offer an ethnic studies class. I think that it's used as a cover to say, I don't want a real, you know, critical examination of things that we have done wrong in our history. And, and, and that 
it's easy to be against critical race theory that Sean Youngblood, the you know, trustee of Placentia Belinda, says, I don't want anything taught, I don't want anything in the classroom that would make a white student feel bad. Right. And that's not the point of critical race theory, right? That Which is, is not absolutely the not the of point. Critical race theory. And it's not being it's it's just not in any way what is being taught in the schools. And that the same thing with the, the allegations, they're terrible, awful lies. Um, being spread in Placentia or Belinda, big banners that say Carrie Buck voted for critical race theory, which she did not. The you know real thing that happened was there's there was a ban that was so poorly written as a resolution on the agenda that when I read it, I had my students look at it and tell me if they thought we could teach the Civil War with a ban on any discussion of race. That if we could talk about demographics in the election, if there's no discussion of racial demographics. I, there, It was just so poorly written that Carrie Buck voted against that ban. It's not being taught and now it's being used as, as a weapon against her. But the lies continue that, th- that the teachers union wants indoctrination and grooming students for a, a ridiculous sex cabal, which I don't even understand. Um, but those lies and, and fear tactics are really permeating our society and the folks that are, that are removed from the schools, I think, are, are more likely to believe it. Um, and I hear this all the time. I hear this by this, this rhetoric around critical race is something that has seeped its way into conversations and rhetoric around our school system. There's nothing controversial about critical race theory. It's actually extremely uncontroversial, but it has been made so because a lot of people don't really understand it. You know, it's a theory employed by academics across a range of disciplines, sociology, political science, economics. There's a long tradition of critical race and economics. I just published a paper citing many of those um, scholars who study how the law has been used to shape economic outcomes, right? Right. Um, The the critical race theory actually originated in the study of the law. And, but it's become weaponized and it's become weaponized in particular, I think after the murder of George Floyd and the uprisings for racial justice, when people were really trying to grapple with the contentious history of the United States. And what we need to be teaching children and youth and college students is this contentious history. There's a variety of frameworks to analyze it. It's not just critical race theory. It's not taught in our elementary schools. I'm in the right. schools. Right. I was well, in my high schools. It's, it's not taught in our high schools, right? It's right. not the same thing as ethnic studies. Right. And it's it's important that people have real conversations about race and racism and not just race and racism, but other dimensions of difference around which inequalities exist. And when we talk about ethnic studies, it's not just these conversations around racial ethnic change and demographics. It's also about what, what is our responsibility as a society to make our society more equitable? What is our responsibility yeah. to think deeply about the kinds of the, the kinds of 
the, the kind of a country that we want to become. These aren't new questions that we're asking students. Correct. These are questions Correct. that have been asked for decades that students, teachers, that all of us who are civically engaged and who are thinking about the world around us are contemplating. And so I had a conversation. Oh my gosh, Jody, can I tell you about this conversation I had on the soccer field? Please do. Yes. Um, with a, a school board candidate in Brea and the school board candidate made a comment to me and they said, 2025 is our year. And I didn't really understand. We had already been engaging in a conversation and the school board candidate had introduced themselves to me as the conservative candidate without any prompting from me. I didn't ask for any kind of political affiliation, um, which I thought was strange because school board races are supposed to be nonpartisan. Um, and they said some things that I actually found um, to be unprofessional about their opponent. But, you know, it's, it's politics. So sure. it happens. Um, but eventually the the candidate told me that 2025 is our year. And 2025 is the year that ethnic studies must be included in yes. high school curriculum. And the candidate proceeded to to say that, you know, the goal is to get people on school boards to thwart that curriculum from being implemented or to change the way that that curriculum is going to be written because ethnic studies curriculum is a community driven process. And um, I was very concerned (laughs) by that. And it's also related to what um, kind of this farm program, this, that, that California Republicans have created to identify and train conservative candidates to run for school board. Yes. And so. And, and many of those folks, and you can look them up, I'll put it in the show notes for Kevin Kiley's, uh, who is, you know, endorsed by the MAGA Trump supporters running for Congress. He has endorsed school board candidates throughout California called Champions for Kids. And there are lots of candidates from North Orange County who wanted that endorsement, who sought that endorsement, who wanted to identify as this extremist group. Um, and they absolutely have training to kind of, you know, destroy ethnic studies from within. And I really want to, again, just emphasize that there's nothing con- controversial about critical race theory. There's nothing controversial <laughs> controversial about ethnic studies, especially in a world that we are living in that is extremely diverse racially and ethnically. You know, there's nothing controversial about the fact that racism and sexism has been codified into right. the laws of the United States. What's right. really important about that is the ways in which people have stood up for injustice, the ways in which people have worked for change. You know, as women, we couldn't even vote until the 1920s. You know, we couldn't hold right. a credit card until the 70s. Are we going to deny right. that that existed? No. And we have to talk about. The activists. Well, even when you look at the um, the list of the presidents of the League of Women Voters, they are listed by their husband's name until the 1970s. I have no idea who the women who held the presidency of the United States League of Women Voters were. I do not know their first names until the 1970s. 
I mean, that's an, that's an indication of exactly what we're talking about here around the ways that these kinds of um, ideas don't just become codified into law, right? They are played out within institutions. Yeah. And the important thing about understanding this is thinking about how do we make real social change so that everybody in our society has the opportunities to thrive and to live in a society in which people can actually achieve their goals and live, you know, well and peacefully. And that's all we're moving toward in this country. And, and it's, it's very concerning that there are efforts to really, you know, rewrite history or maintain a particular ideology. I'm also really concerned. I want to mention something too, if we have a second, Jody, that you brought up. These movements around ethnic studies and the attempts to prevent ethnic studies from being implemented or to even have these um, kinds of, you know, very separatist charter schools, again, that are not like the Orange County High School of the Arts are very concerning to me particularly in light of our dual language programs and academies in, in our cities. My, my child goes to a dual language school um, here in Fullerton, a Spanish English immersion school. And so much of the curriculum in learning another language is wrapped up in discussions around culture. It's wrapped up in absolutely celebratory, the celebratory nature of thinking about um different people and different people's places in society. What happens to those programs? What happens to teachers who are teaching about different um, cultures, different kinds of um, ways of being? It's it's very, very distressing. Um, So these are things that I'm thinking about. I had a student 20 years ago. I had a student when we were talking about, you know, the research and showing it. And I I was frustrated because, you know, Minnesota has had dual immersion programs for a long time. And, and he said, I don't want my child to learn Spanish because I don't want them to know anything that I don't know. And I thought, Oh my gosh, you know, my kids are my tech assistants. I, I don't know how to do something on my phone. I turn it over to them. I celebrate the fact that they know things that I don't know. And, and the, the really closed mindset of fear that they, they want to control it. And I thought, oh, wow, that, that is just not in any way my mindset. You know, I, I want my kids to learn things that I have never thought about. I, I expect the next generation to consider and question what we have done. Um, and so I do, I agree with you that it's really troubling on a number of levels. Um, and, and one thing I will say about the community-based ethnic studies programs, the, the curriculum that's being devised by these teachers is one of the things that I am so excited about is that they get a chance to really talk about local history. And, and so 
you know, I, I come from the Central Valley. I've mentioned that before, but our migration patterns were so different that we knew that the Portuguese farmers who came to the Central Valley came from the Azores, not from Portugal. And they were very proud of their islands and would share that with you. And, and then in, in the late seventies, the Assyrians coming from both Iraq and Iran settled in, in, uh, in the Central Valley and the Hmong who settled in Merced and, the idea that they these communities could share that um, in the curriculum that that we could learn about the Great Migration and 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 you know during during the the Great Depression the, the the folks who came from the Midwest and the Oklahoma immigrants the German immigrants in Anaheim that 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 really does matter of how people came from El Salvador and how people came from Guatemala and how people came to this community is incredible information that is not in textbooks that are published nationwide that is not in textbooks that we're seeing. And so I hope that it's a chance to not just talk about, you know, California history and the Chinese Exclusion Act and 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 bringing um, people from the Becerra program, but also really to allow students to explore their own history and 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 how they arrived in Southern California or how they came to this community. It's such an important point that you make. I would say two things I'm thinking of. One is that. Research shows consistently that kids who see themselves reflected in curriculum have significantly better educational outcomes. Not only do they have better educational outcomes, they also have better relationships to their families and communities, which can reinforce a whole host of positive um, mental health and self-esteem development as well as mobility. And so kids who, and and research in immigration um, literature shows that um, kids who retain ties to ethnic communities, kids who have pride in their parents' national origin or their immigrants' national origin have significantly better educational outcomes. And it's not something that is antithetical, again, to the ideals of the United States. You know, yes, kids need to learn about the Chinese Exclusion Act. Kids need to learn about Japanese internment. Right. But kids also need to learn about the contributions that immigrants and successive generations have made to American society. American society, of course, is built on settler colonialism, right? And slavery and also um, immigrant labor, right? But there are also contributions that have been made by all of these groups to American society. American society is not unchanging. It's constantly changing and developing. And these kinds of local level representations of people seeing themselves, seeing themselves reflected in the curriculum that they're learning are important for youth who come from those particular national origin or ethnic backgrounds. And it's also important for youth who don't. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 my daughter was in kindergarten when they were studying the presidents and she was going through and she said, you know, when do we get to talk about the women presidents? 
And I said, oh, sweet. well, how did you answer that question? Jackie? I said, oh, <laughs> please tell me. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry that I don't have any to offer you, but you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that will change. And, and then we talked about, we talked about the women who are on the school boards and we talked about the women on city council and we talked about the women in our state legislature and we talked about the women who are in Congress. And, and then we got to talk about the women who ran. Um, and then I had a really good conversation with her about all the women who never got a chance to run who would have been really good presidents. Because I often look at, at the top two candidates, you know, and I look at a country of 330 million and think, is this really the best we can do? Um, you know, the, 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 the number of, of people who have never gotten a chance to be president and, you know, Shirley Chisholm is one of my favorites of what a different world we would have had if she had been president of the United States. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been a lot of that, of, of not, and, and, and you know, we, we could have a whole nother conversation about how the fact is that, you know, she never had a teacher uh, from kindergarten to sixth grade who didn't look exactly like her who wasn't a white woman from a middle-class community um, and, and that, and, and they were incredible, wonderful teachers. You know, I, I tell my students all the time, I'm a white woman from a middle-class community. We're awesome, but it's not enough. Um, we need representation in our classroom. We need teachers to be uh, role models and, and, and just change our, society from within and, and we need our kids to, to go into education and that is really hard to do when teachers are being attacked it's really hard to do when they're being demonized it's really hard to recruit the next generation of teachers when you have this really partisan polarized really nasty attacks um, in our elections it's really hard this is something that's really difficult to see our teachers are so important to our children. Our teachers are so important to our communities and teachers are being attacked. Teachers are being devalued. Teachers are being criticized. Teachers are being feeling like they're being censored. Yes. I have had so many, I've had numerous people email me in particular from Placentia or Belinda um, and have had um, other people reach out to me to discuss the kind of stress and pressure that teachers are under. I'm so grateful to our teachers. I'm so grateful yes. for what our teachers are doing and have done, particularly in the pandemic. Um, as someone who also, you know, is a professor teaching college students, I understand in many ways what our elementary and high school teachers have gone through. And I'm just so grateful for them. And the, these debates, this manufactured crisis, this red herring of CRT is right. making it very difficult for teachers to teach. It's making it very difficult for kids to learn. And it's so problematic that Cal State Fullerton has pulled their student teachers out of Placentia, Yorba Linda right. School District. Cal State Fullerton is one of the premier teaching um, institutions right. in our area in Southern California and California in general. And it isn't viewed as a place where teachers can have discussions around equity, right. around diversity, 
around justice, around the kinds of things that we're talking about here. Student teachers are worried. They're scared. They don't want to teach there. And it's not viewed as a place where students can be mentored to their fullest capacity. And we're seeing, again, the breakdown of our public education system playing out right in front of our very eyes. Right. And it's very detrimental to teachers who. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Jody? Well, I think, I think everything you just said is absolutely true and it's, and it's hard to suggest. And, and, you know, it's all, it's always been a, a struggle to get some immigrant populations, parents, you know, don't want their kids to go into education because it's not paid well enough because they want them to do something else. And and then when you have the kids who really have this gift for teaching, well, now they don't want to go in because of the polarized politics of it. And so recruiting future teachers becomes a thousand times more difficult than just getting around some of some of the natural problems that we faced in the past. And if we don't value teachers. And if we don't pay teachers, it means that we continue to recruit from an incredibly privileged group of people who can afford to take a lower pay than they could have gotten from coding and the tech world. Um, and, and that's bad for all of us. I, I know it's a big stretch to get to Finland where, you know, teachers are some of the most respected, best paid in society, but we are really going in the opposite direction. Um, and, and that's bad for everyone. And I can't, you know, I just want to draw the connection one more time that, you know, the people causing the chaos in these school districts are endorsed by the OC Board of Education. They are right. endorsed by people who are going to profit off of charter schools. They are endorsed by people who were anti-maxers and anti-vaxxers. They are endorsed by groups yeah. that see that aren't interested in building, um, I think from my perspective, strong relationships with our teachers, but instead are really villainizing teachers. Um, I, I, uh, spoke with a person who's on the board of the parents' voice. This is an organization that was, um, developed in Fullerton as a way under the the idea that parents should have choice, parents should have a say in children's education and so forth. And I spoke to someone and he was claiming that the teacher's union is hiding things in students' curriculum about gay people, that the teacher's union and teachers themselves are are teaching kids to be racist and I asked him to send me the data and analysis that he right. was using to make these claims. And I received about five emails from this person and everything was from very uh, problematic websites. Right. Much of it is, you know, none of it's really based in fact. It's Correct. these far right extremist groups. And, and these are the people that are backing the candidates who are on our school board. And so these things are not, um, these things are all related and people need to really think about 
these elections and understand what's at stake. And they need to think about who's endorsing, who's supporting these candidates and the groups that are supporting these candidates. And if if school board candidates say that they don't agree with people who endorse them or that they don't agree with charter schools or they don't agree with, you know, the kinds of accusations that groups like the Parents Voice are waging against our schools and teachers, then they need to think about the endorsements that they've they've accepted. So I think that there's a lot at stake in this election and in these um, races. And we have to think about them from this broader framework of what's happening in our country more generally yes. and how this is really playing out at the local level and what this means for us as a society. Right, right. No, and, and, and we've seen it so fast at the Centura Belinda. You know, that the damage that can be done when people have that motive. And, and so I really encourage everybody to, if you're, you know, leave it blank if you are not paying any attention to school board races, because you need to know who you're voting for. You need to do the research. And if you're listening to this podcast, I know that you are. Um, go to the websites and look at who is endorsing. And, and those are the people they publicly want to be associated with. And I think a lot of these endorsements are problematic and to my, to my belief of public education, disqualifying, right? If you are going to associate with people who want to dismantle public education, you should not be serving on a public education board. So. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just, I really, I really do. So I really appreciate you spending some time with me. It's been such a joy to get to know you. Uh, and and, I, and I'm going to have you back and talk about some of your other research because I think it's fascinating. Thank you so much for, again, your work in our community, your work with our youth. Um, Fullerton College was integral in my mobility pathway. And it's so important to just think about and talk about these issues. And I'm just grateful for you. For spending your time doing this podcast. Thank you. And for inviting thank me. Everybody for listening. Well, thank you very much. So as always, thanks for listening. I couldn't do this podcast without you. A special shout out to my favorite listener, my mom, Peggy Jenkin, who listens to this podcast, even though she lives in Turlock, California and doesn't get to vote for 90, 95% of the people I talk to. Um, my executive producer, Ann Watka, who spent years talking me into this. Uh, a huge thanks to the producing team who makes this possible, Jackson Henry and Fiza Valiola. Um, if you haven't listened to Observing Fullerton, you know what to do next. Subscribe and listen to all their past episodes. As part of the Fullerton Observer, uh, the podcast team, Arujan Veed, Arian Meza, Bianca Bravo, and our own Jackson Henry, keep you informed about the, health, uh, the Fullerton community with their podcast. So give them a listen. They've got a great show. Thanks. Talk to you soon.